This week we are entering into the second half of a one-two punch. Uh, last week we shared with you uh, about the role of examples in our life, uh, how we, we desperately need examples. We use examples more than we think. <clears throat> Most of us don't go a day, much less a week, without Googling something or going to YouTube to figure out how to do something. And, and we have, we've learned a lot from YouTube, haven't we? We can make a cake, we can uh, fry chicken, we can change a water pump on a 69 Mustang. There's just tons of things that is really is helpful. Now, some of that can obviously get you in trouble. So it matters what examples we look at, doesn't it, as well? So uh, last week, um, we kind of looked at how do you do that? And, and there are examples in life, and that is a critical part of our growing well and growing wisely, is are we, are we cognizant, are we aware, are we selective about what examples we're using for life? And the, and the idea that uh, in these examples, um, we first have to really appreciate or value something that we see. Someone's ability to not get mad when people around them are idiots. That's a, that's a powerful quality, isn't it? Uh, someone who can be in a life of injustice where they live or where they work and not grow bitter, not be angry, uh, not become desensitized, judgmental. Uh, so all of these things, when we see people who seem to operate in a way that we go, wow, that's good. How do you do that? The question is, who are the examples in our life? And how are they influencing us? So the first part of that is, are we wisely selecting the examples? And the other piece of that is, do we recognize and realize we're probably an example to someone? Now, sometimes we're a really bad example. Uh, you know, I never want to play a guitar in home group like that guy, ever. I would rather not play the guitar. See, that was an example of maybe how not to play a guitar. But you might also look at that as an example of, wow, that guy took a risk and, and worked hard at playing uh, when obviously it was a stretch for him. So I want us to realize that these examples in our lives are going to be critical to your success. And <clears throat> as we looked at that, we looked at in the, in the desire to change and be somebody different coming out of 2015, uh, we have this balance of life that is sometimes very difficult to break out of. It's not a balance we want. We want change. We want to grow. We want to be different. Um, but there's a cost to changing. And, and to really understand that cost and to really be able to take on that cost in an honest way instead of just sliding through another year where you're incrementally changing maybe. And then finally, um, has that cost prevented us from really striking out? And that's where examples can be so helpful to us. That's how you do it. How do you do that? How did you change that in your life? So with that, Jesus made this commanding position uh, apparent when he's got this big crowd following him. For those that 
you know, we, we find the crowd, this is especially true of pastors, that, you know, the big crowd has got to mean some level of success somehow, right? Uh, we got to be doing something right. And uh, as he has the big crowd following him, his instinct was to turn and to say with, to them, certainly we believe under the, under the Holy Spirit's power, uh, you know, if you really want to follow me, you have to hate your father and mother. You have to take up your cross and follow me. You, I mean, he lays down this, wow, what a, what a downer, you know. He turns and he kind of lays this bar at this impossible place. And what Jesus was doing is saying, don't be confused about what following me means. Being a part of the crowd is not following me. Being in the church is not following me. What is following me is following me. And what following me looks like is I become this priority in your life. And everything else, your children, your greatest love, your wife, your husband, your, your gifts, your talents, your dreams, your hopes, all those things are here. He says, put me here, put everything else here. Now you can follow. That's what following looks like. So because you are the 5,000 here, and because you are listening to the words coming from my mouth, he says, that is not a follower. And unless you are willing to do this, you will not ever follow me. You will always be part of a crowd. You'll just be part of a crowd. You'll have a name tag. You'll have the T-shirt from the conference. You know, they had kind of the Jesus Woodstock moment, you know, when they fed all the people. But it was just a t-shirt. It was just a meal. It was just a photo uh, with a lot of selfies. It was all that. But it was not following Jesus until this happens. Okay, and if this becomes a reality that you want to embrace, this distinction then it will take some examples of looking at people that actually have pulled that off. Because when you walk through your day, you won't be crossing a lot of them. It won't be a bunch of those that you see every day. So the question is, who are you laying your eyes upon that become the instrument of example for you? And then are you willing to take the cost? When, when they say... When you say, how do you do that? Well, I get up at four in the morning and I pray, just spend an hour with God. Well, that's nuts. I, is that the only way? I mean, is there another way? Is God not awake at like 9 a.m. or 4 p.m.? See, they heard the cost. It was too high. I don't think it's a bad question. I think, what if it came back and said, you know, God is only awake at four. Are you in or out? Four. A.M. Central Standard. All right, if that's it, I'm, I'm still in. Now we're getting somewhere. It's not about whether it can be three, it's are you willing to do four? It's not about the freedom of, 
The four doesn't mean anything. The four absolutely means something. The four means I am willing to meet God any way I can, anywhere I, in, anywhere I can. It means opening the roof and lowering somebody in because there's a crowd. It means I will do whatever it takes to create this reality in my life. That's if you want to follow Jesus. We need people, good examples. We watch them and we ask them that question. We swallow hard and we step into that cost. When I became a Christian, uh, I, I asked, uh, they were starting a 6.30 a.m. Bible study. I worked midnight shift, or actually, I worked till about 2 in the morning. I worked from 3.30 in the afternoon to about 2 o'clock in the morning. And uh, so I said, well, wh- what is, is this Bible study? Should I go to this? Is this, is this part of the gig? He said, yeah, I'll be there. Boy, it came early, you know. I was there every whatever it was, Monday morning or something, praying with people at the church at 6.30 in the morning. My parents thought, oh, my gosh, he's going to be wearing a sheet and sandals pretty soon. They thought that was a little creepy to them. When I went to the church, I asked, where's the beginner's class? I'm ready to be a beginner. And they said, well, we don't have a beginner's class. We have a young adult class. I went to that class. I had no idea what they were talking about. They were like way up here talking to me. So I went to the pastor. I said, you know, there has to be somebody that's lower than these guys. So what do you do with like your five-year-olds? Well, there's a five-year-old class. I said, I'll go to the five-year-old class. I said, you can't go to the five-year-old class. I said, well, that's the class I need to be in. So they let me go to the five-year-old class. I went to the five-year-old class. They had the little bitty chairs that you sit in. And uh, I looked like, you know, Akeem Elijahwan in there, you know, with these kids. Had the same book they had, reading my little book. And, uh, and I, lo- I still have that book. It was a great book. And I learned for probably six months, I learned with the five and six-year-olds. Because that's what it was going to take for me to pick up some speed. I was 17 years old, and to me, I was behind. And I wanted to catch up. Are you willing to sit with the five-year-olds and learn? Are you willing to get up at 6.30 a.m. and pray? If you reach a no, if you're going along and you hit a no, then you can't do that. It means you can't follow Jesus. It's not that he's stopping you. It's saying you won't. You can't. You have chosen something different. And it doesn't even matter what it is. In addition to examples, oh, and I I touched on, I just wanted to, I touched on some of the examples last week that we looked at. You know, we might think of examples like how to read the Bible, how to study the Bible, and all these kinds of things. But the kind of examples that we see over and over again in the scripture are, you know, how to have patience in the face of suffering. Uh, we need examples for that. We need to see how people do that. Or how about living and flourishing in injustice? Oh, yeah, that's one of the biggest ones I run into. 
That's one of the biggest ones I run into in the church is people struggle with they have been wronged and they can't get past it. There's no amount of help that will get them past it. You know why? Because they're not willing to embrace the cost. Because to get past it, I have to die. I have to do what Jesus did. How, how to value life. What is the real value in life? How to understand what is valuable and what isn't. These are all critical pieces. And there are examples in the scripture of how to, how to value life. How to handle our speech and our conduct. We need examples on how to do that. You know, for a while there, we had some people that were coming out of a different lifestyle that were getting saved here. And, and uh, you know, I would tell them when they're going to give a testimony, I'd say, you know, just for the sake of the week here, take care of some of your language when you give your testimony. Because when they would tell me the testimony, as powerful as it was, it was full of expletives. And then this, you know, and they go off and they were just amazed at God. But how they described it would have offended some of my seemingly spiritual people. And for the most part, they pulled it off. When I had the guy that said, you know, I was looking for a joint last night and I couldn't find it. And I had this, I knew I had hidden this joint, I couldn't find it anywhere. And he said, God showed me where the joint was. He was a testimony. That's a true story. Now, I don't have time to tell the whole story. But if I told you the whole story, you would probably agree because he didn't smoke it. So it was a pretty exciting uh, testimony. Although, again, I didn't know how the rest of my church would necessarily embrace it. All right. Examples for love that is sacrificial. Examples for living in a hostile world. We need examples. We need people who are doing what Jesus did. I mean, really doing it. We need to be able to see people who are living like this. Because unless you see it, it's really hard to believe it's real. All right, you're going you're gonna to give away stuff and not expect anything in return. You're not going to take any account any wrong committed against you. You're going to love your enemies. You're going to turn the other cheek. You will be dead in about 20 minutes in my neighborhood. Jesus did it, and other people do it. So today, embracing the second part of the one-two punch, I want to talk about reminders. Reminders are a key part of how we are able to successfully walk. This is a somewhat cleaned up uh, phrase that goes back many years. Um, the oh don't forget is important um, I have no idea where we are so go forward that's it when you're up and to your neck in alligators it's difficult to remember that your initial objective 
was to drain the swamp. Neck has been put in there to sanitize it somewhat. We can, in the heat, we can forget what our original intention was. We can forget who we are in the struggle. You know, years ago, long time ago, long, long time ago, not long enough ago, but a long time ago, I went with a small group of people to a homeless shelter in Houston uh, to bless the homeless people. Uh, but one of the guys there was kind of hitting on one of our females. And uh, it didn't really go well for me. And uh, I threw my Bible down and jumped on this guy. And it became this big altercation. I'm probably one of the few people that have been thrown out a homeless shelter for fighting. Uh, uh, and I found out I wasn't even at the right homeless shelter. I was at the wrong homeless shelter. Uh, but we went to the right homeless shelter after that. I'm still not allowed in the other homeless shelter probably. But the I wasn't much good at the second homeless shelter because I, I really felt like I had not demonstrated um, the best of this uh, at, the, at the other location. So, but they have bouncers there, and they were certainly able to handle me without any big problem. And uh, you see, I lost sight of my objective in the alligators. And reminders help us. And life is full of alligators, and we need reminders. And if you don't have them all around you, then you got to build some in. you got to do something. Um, and so uh, I want to share with you a little bit on reminders, the kind of the, oh, yeah, uh, yeah, I'm really here to love and bless, uh, not to fight with people. And so I, I want to cover just a few in the Scripture today because Scripture really uses reminders as a powerful tool, and you're going to see that it is such a part of your life that you need to consider it really on the forefront of the battle to realize this in your life. So we see in the New Testament, we're going to see uh, that we're reminded that we need good thinking. We need good, wholesome thinking. We need right thinking. Uh, in the swamp, you're going to need right thinking to be strong. Truth has to be your friend. Are you going to be fighting alligators and doing crazy stuff and you're going to fall away because you're going to lose sight of the truth that you're there for? We're going to see where people are distracted by the delay of the return of Jesus. Don't be confused. Remember the truth. How many of us can get wrapped up in our life because tomorrow doesn't hold the return of Jesus, so we think. How often can we just get caught up in our swamp? Because the return of Jesus is far from us emotionally, mentally, psychologically, spiritually. It's just a long way away. Right now, what is primary on my plate is this. 
that's what I'm going to work on. You see, we lose our edge because we lose that piece of the truth that is powerfully important. Reminders to look forward to that future. To look forward to that future and to want that future. It is is critical that that future we are being called to with Jesus is, is real to us. Is that future real to you? We need to be reminded that Jesus was raised from the dead. You know, we downplay that a little bit. Come on, somebody was raised from the dead. I mean, raised from the dead. I mean, if that really happened, that's the game changer. Did Adam have a navel? Yeah, who cares? Somebody was raised from the dead. It's the question that trumps all questions. Was there evolution? Who cares? Someone was raised from the dead. I mean, let's get a grip. All other questions fall into the so what category. We'll find that out later. Someone was raised from the dead. I think we lose the value of that. Do you appreciate the reality that someone has overcome death? They beat it. They beat the the death game, and then they turn around and they handed it to you. I mean, when we lose that, boy, we lose a big chunk of truth, don't we? I mean, we're already, we're at a big disadvantage in the swamp if we just are forgetting, wow, death got trumped and I got handed to me for free. You got to remember that. We need to remind people. I mean, my, my leg may hurt. I may have a sciatic nerve stuff. I may be whatever. You know, people here have diabetes and you know, it's all kinds of struggles and troubles. But death is not going to get you. Death is not going to win my life. Please, remind me of that. There are times I need, I know, oh yeah, that's right, you know. My life is doing great. We are reminded we die with him, we live with him. That's a powerful truth. I need to be reminded of that all the time. Because when I have to die to self, I need to remember that's to gain the life. That's to gain the dream. It's all about the life that I even buy with my death. That hardship is what delivers me reigning in the kingdom of God with him. It's hardship here that can produce that for me. That's why I can glory in hardship. I can glory in difficulty. Why? Because my crown just keeps getting bigger. Because what is happening is my person in Christ becomes more and more powerful in the resurrection. Oh, I need to be reminded of that. Do you, do you feel like you live a small life sometimes? Do you feel like you lose the grip on the very things that are the authorization for eternity? We're also reminded if we deny him, he'll deny us. 
we're also reminded that when we are unfaithful, he will remain faithful. Isn't that comfortable? Aren't you glad to know that? Isn't it nice to be reminded that, especially when you've been unfaithful, do you know that Jesus right now is remaining faithful to you with all his heart? Don't you need to know that when you've been unfaithful? Don't you need to hear somebody remind you of that? Heal your wounds of failure with that truth. Reminders are a powerful part of our reality. Uh, This is Karina. I want to have her read something. This is out of 1 Samuel chapter 25. Uh, And this is about a woman named Abigail. So Karina is going to kind of be Abigail for us. This will be read out of the message. Uh, To set the story up, because it's a bit of a long story, but I welcome you to read it. It's a refreshing story. Uh, David and his men, this is King David before he was actually the reigning king. Um, But he is on the run with his men, and they're out in the middle of nowhere, and they're out in the fields. And and they had spent most of the summer uh, in this one area, and they had protected this particular man's sheep, his sheep herders, uh, all of his uh, cattle. They had... Normally, people who are around, they just took advantage of them. They took advantage. They, they took what they want. But David made a point that none of his men, they never harmed them. They actually, um, the help kind of called it, they put, a, they put a wall of protection around them. And so because David and his men needed some food uh, after the summer, he sent some of his guys to uh, Nabal, and Nabal was this rich landowner uh, and asked Nabal uh, as they're doing the shearing in the field, hey, could we have some of the, some of the feasts that you have for the shearers? And uh, Nabal's response was, I don't know who you are. Um, I don't know anything about you. You could be anybody. I'm not giving you anything. So these guys go back and they tell David. David is pretty angry about this. And so David's view was, all right, we'll just go take them out. Simple. So uh, David is bounding up with his men, and uh, some of the servants of Nabal heard about it, and they went and told his wife. His wife's name is Abigail. And said, hey, this is a bad, bad thing is about to happen here. These guys protected us. They were a wall of protection around us. They looked after us. They never harmed us. They never took anything. They never stole anything. you got to do something. And this is where the reading is going to go forward. Now, I want you to pay attention to what Karina reads. Because I want you, I'm going to give you two chances, but I want to see if you can hear the reminders that she brings to David. Go ahead. Now, my Lord, as surely as the Lord lives. Hold on one moment. When she says, now, my Lord, she's talking to David. Just a way of saying, sir, statement of honor, just so you won't be confused about the dialect. Okay. As surely as the Lord lives and you yourself live, since the Lord has kept you from murdering and taking vengeance into your own hands, let all your enemies and those who try to harm you be as cursed as Nabal is. 
and here is a present that I, your servant, have brought to you and your young men. Please forgive me if I have offended you in any way. The Lord will surely reward you with a lasting dynasty, for you are fighting the Lord's battles, and you have not done wrong throughout your entire life. Even when you are chased by those who seek to kill you, your life is safe in the care of the Lord your God, secure in his treasure pouch. But the lives of your enemies will disappear like stones shot from a sling. When the Lord has done all he promised and has made you the leader of Israel, don't let this be a blemish on your record. Then your conscience won't have to bear the staggering burden of needless bloodshed and vengeance. And when the Lord has done these great things for you, please remember me, your servant. David replied to Abigail, Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, who has sent you to meet me today. Thank God for your good sense. Bless you for keeping me from murder and from carrying out vengeance with my own hands. Okay. Now, the big picture is, David does not carry through with his threat, does he? Okay. Now, <clears throat> did you hear any reminding that Abigail did? What did you hear? You can speak up. Reminded of what promise was that? She reminded him he would be the king of Israel with a lasting dynasty. She knows and Nabal knew exactly who this man was. She reminded him of something that was very important to his future. Anybody else? Anything else? That it would not be a blemish and a regret. Anything else? All your life, this has not been who you are. This is not who you are, David. Very good, very good. You guys are getting great grades here. She was doing a powerful service to David, wasn't she? She was reminding him. He needed that, didn't he? He was in the swamp, wasn't he? The alligators were all around him. And he was ready and willing and able to take on all of the alligators. It wasn't whether he could beat the alligators. They weren't his to beat. Anything else? He sure did. Because God dealt with Nabal. And when David heard that, who wouldn't want to be married to Abigail, right? All right. Um, would you read the different reminders I have underlined? And, and you've hit most of these. There's a few more. The Lord has kept you from murdering and taking vengeance into your own hands. You are fighting the Lord's battles. You have not done wrong throughout your entire life. Hold on. <clears throat> you know how important it is for you to remember you're fighting the Lord's battles, not yours? You know that's a truth that we just desperately need people to remind us. 
Even when you are chased by those who seek to kill you, your life is safe in the care of the Lord your God, secure in his treasure pouch. Don't, so, you, don't you need to be reminded of that sometimes? Even though people are after you, even though lone people are after you, even though your bank is after you, even though your boss is after you, you know, the truth is, you are safe in God. You're safe in his treasure pouch. The lives of your enemies will disappear like stones shot from a sling. And the Lord has promised to make you the leader of Israel. This is what reminding looks like. And this is the effect that it can have because David was thankful. She came and met him and stopped him from making a terrible, terrible mistake. She showed up and she reminded him, here's the key of who he was. So here's the key about reminders. Reminders are not really about teaching. Reminders are helping you recollect and, and, and concentrate around the things that you already know. But we already know most of it, don't we? I mean, we really do. But we need to be reminded. Because often, we don't live like who we are. David need to be reminded of who he was and who he was called to be and what battle he was engaged to really fight and what battle was not his to fight. Abigail was a powerful reminder of what he already knew. Well, sometimes we're angry, we're hurt, we're not willing to hear good reminders. But that's when we need them the most. <clears throat> I want to skip to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 15. It's a ways. <clears throat> I have scriptures that I've on slides for um, I'll be glad to share with people um, for all the things we have remembrance I just with time uh, I can make those available to you <clears throat> in fact I'm just going to share these with you uh, Second Peter 3 1 through 13 Second Timothy 2 Two, um, yeah, two, eight through ten. Second Timothy two, eleven through fourteen. Those are all covering those reminders. First Corinthians chapter fifteen. <clears throat> Paul is speaking. This is out of the message. Friends, let me go over the message. In other, con in other uh, translations, it says, let me remind you. Let me remind you of this. Let me go over this message with you one final time. So he's gone over this message with them before, hasn't he? 
this message that I proclaimed and that you made your own, this message on which you took your stand and by which your life has been saved. I'm assuming now that your belief was the real thing and not a passing fancy, that you're in this for good and you're pursuing this. That's the assumption. That the Messiah died for our sins, exactly as the scripture said. That he was buried and raised from the dead on the third day, exactly as the scripture said. That he presented himself alive to Peter, then to the closest followers, and later to more than 500 of his followers, all at the same time, most of them still around, still living. And then he spent time with James and the rest of those he commissioned to represent him. And that he finally presented himself alive to me. Paul is reminding them of the reality that Jesus was the Son of God. He was, he was crucified. He was resurrected. And many of the people that they knew, many of the people that were around to bear witness, including himself, are, are telling them. He's pulling that trump card. He's saying, don't forget this key piece that anchors your life. All other questions fall through. Let this remain in your remembrance at all times. In 1 Corinthians 4, 16 and 17, Paul again, Therefore I urge you to imitate me. For this reason I have sent Timothy my son, whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. And what will he do? He will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. And you can see in other texts where he says, follow me if you want to follow Christ. If you can't see Christ, if you need an example, then follow me. There's that where that example and that reminder come together. Paul is saying, I'm going to send Timothy to you because he can help be an example and help remind you of the things that you've already learned. Do you get the impression that we are a forgetful people? Do you, do you get the impression that the swamp is a powerful experience? And it certainly can demand your attention where it should not. When you look at Paul, and you look at Peter, you look at Timothy, you look at Jude, you look at all the New Testament people, they were very concerned with reminding people of the truth and that it remained very close, very much the anchor of your soul, or you won't make it. You won't live this life. Romans 15, starting verse 16, 14 through 16, this is NIV. I myself, this is Paul speaking, and convinced my brothers and sisters that you yourselves are full of goodness, 
filled with knowledge and competent to instruct one another. I think you're the bomb. I think you're capable. I think you're everything. Oh, and by the way, I have written you quite boldly some points to remind you of them again. I know you're good at this. I know this is good. I know that you're in the groove. But I am not only going to remind you again, I'm going to remind you boldly again. Because we need to be reminded of who we are. We need to be reminded that the cost, although great, is worth it. We need to be reminded that we did sign up for that cost. We need to look joyously at a future that we are part of the inauguration of a future kingdom that is coming. We need to stop living defeated in the swamp because we know that the swamp in our very presence is being transformed, not by you and me, but by God working through us. That has to remain the key focal points of my remembering. I have written to you quite boldly some points to remind you of them again. Because of the grace God gave me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to Gentiles, he gave me the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. We see in John chapter 14, this is also the NIV. Verses 25 through 27. All of this I have spoken while you are still while still with you. This is Jesus speaking. But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things. And he will remind you of everything I have told you. All the apostles, all the disciples thought it was imperative, it was important, it was critical to continue to remind the people of God of the things that they already knew and had embraced. That this cost would never be seen as too much, that they would never lose the value of the future, that they would always be able to see the love and the power and the presence of God even in the swamp that it was critically important that we continue to remind one another. But it wasn't just them. Even the Holy Spirit thinks it's really important to remind you and I. Have you ever been reminded of something by the Holy Spirit? Have you ever gone against that remembering the Holy Spirit urged you with? We can. But the Spirit also values the role of reminding you and I. It's not just to remind you to be good. It's to remind you of the future breaking into the present. It's to remind you that the swamp is temporary. That the alligators, although they bite, although they draw blood and they can kill you, they are not the point in the swamp. As much as the alligators would like you to think they are the point in the swamp. 
Satan looks for alligators that you will call the point in the swamp. Your loneliness, your pain, your health, your loss, whatever it might be, Satan will look, I mean, with a passion. He will look for the right alligator so that you will now make the alligator the point. Second Peter. It's the role of the Spirit. These are some of my favorite passages in the Scripture is Peter. Talk about a crazy man on reminding. So Peter just goes through and says, to add to your love, faith, after your faith, goodness, after your goodness, kindness, after the brotherly love, he's saying, I want you to take this virtue and add this virtue and add this virtue and add this virtue. And when you do that, I promise you will always be productive in God. And then he says, yeah, I know you know all that. I know you know all that. He says, so I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them, and are firmly established in the truth you now have. I think it's right to refresh your memory for how long? As long as I live. That's what I'm going to be doing. You see, he has now identified the ministry of remembrance. That's the ministry we have. We have the ministry of remembrance. I want to remind you the cost is worth it. I want to remind you that your life has value beyond any power the swamp has. And that this is the best deal on the planet. I want to remind you. And the more alligators are around you, and the more that you're bleeding, and the more that you're taking in pond scum water into your lungs, I'm going to say it louder. And Peter says, for the rest of my life, as long as I live in the tent of this body, because I know that I will soon put it aside as our Lord Jesus Christ has made it clear to me. He knows he's going to die. But Peter doesn't stop there. Here's the radical position he takes. Look at 15. And I will make every effort to see to it that after my departure you will always be able to remember these things. I'm going to live my life in such a way that I, even after my death, somehow I will come and remind you. I will make reminding you not only for the rest of my life, but I'm going to work to do it the rest of your life even after I'm dead. That's a man that just does not believe in retirement. I mean, he's just like, give it up, Peter. He says, no way. This is the most important thing I do. I remind you that in the swamp, Jesus is Lord. And alligators can bite, and they can kill. But in the swamp, death still loses battle. I'm here to remind you that this is the best deal. I'm here to remind you that the death and the resurrection are real and the death has been trumped. But it's a gift to you from God who loves you. And I'm going to keep reminding you. And when I die, 
I'm going to work to live my life in such a way that after I die, I'm still going to influence you. You're going to be somewhere after I'm dead. You're going to be doing something, and my words are going to come back to you. Oh, man, Peter told me this. At Pete, he ruined my life. And Pete's going to go from heaven. You bet I did. And I'm going to still do it until you die. And then I'm going to hook up with you, and we're going to do it to other people. He was funny like that. He knew the importance of the example. And he understood the power of helping people remember. You know, Melinda was reminding me of something before the service. I didn't like it. Sometimes we don't like what people remind us of. Commitments we've made, promises. Sometimes we just, it's annoying us. I was a little bit annoyed. She was so right. And she's reminding me of who I am and my values and what I want. I need that. I need Peters and Melinda's and I need people who know who I am and are willing to call me by that name. Abigail called him by his future name. He was the king of Israel. That's what she called him. You're the king of Israel. He was an outlaw. He was on the run. But she called him by his real place. And he could hear it. God has a bit of a reminder for us this morning. Um, Someone came into the office this morning and felt like God wanted to remind us of something. I said, I think that's interesting because my message is about reminders. Um... So I'm going to ask Brad to share it. I think he has a small video to show us as well. Well, I didn't think he was going to bring me up here to share. That's why I shared it with you. (laughs) Uh, God God didn't tell me. He told you. Oh, it's true, too. Well, you know, I, I get it to work every morning, and I look through a couple of blogs, and they'll have videos. This and that when I was, I come upon one, and uh, I brought it here to, to share. You'll see it, and uh, it's uh, I think it's like a veteran that lost his sight about uh, 20 years ago, and he has some kind of contraption, and he's able to see. And after I, after I don't know how, but after I watched it. I really had the feeling of uh, eyesight is taken for granted by us, and this guy didn't have it for 20 years, and you know it, it, you know, just like it would anybody else. You know, he 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 became emotional about it, and it's, you, you'll you'll see it. And I really thought that you know uh, how how thi- how things of God. 
that we take uh, for granted, um, whether it be you know grace or even some healing or um, just whatever God has for us, you know, just just to remind us not to take that for granted. So, uh, Danny and and uh, James, are you queued up? I forget we moved it over here. Oh my! At night you lose oh, so much. That they were able to. I can't see you know, and then we had. Never mind. Wow. So that's what Yvonne looks like. That the military uses. Hi. Hello. Hey, Mark. <laughs> hey. You're you're pretty. We <laughs> know. <laughs> oh wow. I'm Chris. Oh. Wow. You can take my glasses off here. <laughs> I don't do any glasses. Okay, now you have to work. Tom, all these years, and never knew what he really looked like. Uh oh. <laughs> <laughs> so what's the verdict? I'm really old. What's the verdict? Oh. He's kind of cute. He's, He's a good looking right? guy. He's a good looking guy. Oh my goodness. Oh. Wow, I'm tearing up. <laughs> remind you today your swamp is not bigger than him he wants you to stop acting like it he wants you to embrace the cost of following him he wants you to follow him without shame, without reluctance. He wants you to follow him. He wants you to believe him. That he has power over death. That he loves you. And he has never left anyone in the swamp. you would stand.